0: trust bites welcome to trust bites i'm dr darren detweiler your host for this event and this is being presented by my food source the solution to build trust throughout today's global supply chain. And I am very thrilled to have two guests with us today. And they're not just guests. They are leaders in their field. We have Valmir Rodriguez. We also have Francine Shaw. And for those who have no idea who these two greats are, let's go ahead and let them introduce yourself. Francine, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? And then we'll ask Valmir to do the same thing.
1: Sure. My name is Francine. I've been in the food service industry for a I stopped saying how many years it was a long time ago, (laughs) for a long time. At this point, we're talking decades. Started out as a fry girl. And, you know, there's not a aspect of the industry that I haven't worked in at this point, from regulatory to academia to just everything. I've written at this point over 250 articles for national trade magazines, most recently helping develop SaaS products for the industry, which I've come to find out that I really enjoy. So that's what I've been doing for the last many years of my life. And it's my story in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> but you you work a lot in terms of food safety, food policy, a lot of different areas that start to overlap into this bigger picture, right?
1: Yeah, I, I do. And I tend to, you know, I, I, can't, yeah, I find it very awkward to talk about myself. Yes, I do. I've, I work in the food safety arena. I've spent I spent over 20 years in the food service industry. When I left the restaurant industry, I didn't want to be one of those people that hop from restaurant to restaurant. You know, that tends to happen a lot in food service. So I thought that I was leaving food service for good. And I think it's in your blood. You know, I left for six months (laughs) and I came back. So in the last 20 plus years, I've spent my life in the food safety industry, various aspects of the food safety industry, and I own my own food safety consulting company. I've worked with large and small companies, helping them develop food safety programs for their organizations, and basically dedicated my life to food safety over the last several years. You know, I've always felt like whether I be training or inspecting or developing food safety programs or whatever the case may be, if I've helped save one person's life, then I've done my job. So that is what I've basically dedicated the last several years of my life to.
0: Well, and we hold some similarity there in terms of how 30 years in, in the works of, of food safety is what I've dedicated my work to. And it was about 10 years ago where you and I first met, but it's also through you that I was introduced to Valmir. Valmir. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, thank you, Darren, for this invitation. And talk about me. I think I need to to start from from the beginning. I was born in Brazil, and I graduated in veterinary medicine. And I started my career as a consultant on farms, and where I realized how the farm's life is difficult, and consulting as well is, is difficult. And after a few years, I started my entrepreneur journey, founding uh, the WQS group. Initially, at in that time, we focused on traceability. And after a few years, we expanded it to inspections, audits, certifications, uh, laboratory tests, uh, management system, uh, and even software platforms. Over the years in my professional life, I had the privilege of working in almost every segment, what you call a food validation industry, and I think we we learn a little bit uh, each, each each division of the, the food validation and also each, each sector of this. That this process?
0: Well, I think uh, along the way, you know, the three of us have encountered certain words or concepts that are almost hard to measure. You know, whether you look at the idea of courage, I also throw in the idea of Herculean effort. Francine, you've talked about integrity. There are some of these words that it's hard to necessarily exactly measure, and trust is one of those words you know how do you measure trust you could have an endless amount of trust with a very small company because of your your history with them and your understanding with them and what they've done to earn that trust at the same time you could have a very low level of trust with the biggest of companies because of your experience with them but i think it's important for us to to define trust in terms of what does it mean francine what do you think of as trust or, or as a definition of trust?
1: I'm, I'm going to approach this from a food safety aspect because that's what we're talking about. I think that when a consumer goes out, whether they're purchasing a meal or they're buying their groceries, they're paying for those products. They have a right to expect that the products that they purchase for their family or themselves are going to be safe to eat. There should be no doubt that when they buy that food and they take it home, they're going to be safe to eat. Nobody's going to get sick and nobody's going to die from eating that food. They should have that level of trust in those products. It shouldn't be a, this might make me sick, or I wonder if this is going to make me sick, or I wonder if it's cooked properly, or I wonder if this fell on the floor and somebody picked it up. wonder if somebody washed their hands. They should be able to trust the companies that manufacture, process, or cook their meals that they've done the right job. Because frankly, the companies that manufacture, process, and deliver these meals have that obligation. It is their obligation to deliver that trust, (laughs) you know? That's how I would define it. You know, they should be above reproach.
0: Yeah, I really resonate with what you're saying. And what I will add is that I think that the dimensions, if you will, let's call it the dimensions within that trust, have definitely changed. You can't just say, oh, it's from this company, therefore I trust it. We have people that are looking at the idea of, I trust that what it says on the label is what is actually inside. Or I trust that if it says it was manufactured in an allergen-free environment, that it truly does not have that allergen in it. Or I trust that if it's ready to eat, that it was kept, you know, hot food was kept hot or cold food was kept cold. Or I trust that their commitment to food safety extended the entire journey of the food. Again, it's, it's there's, there's so many more dimensions of, of food trust, food safety trust food authenticity, trust, even quite honestly, you start getting into areas of corporate social responsibility, environmental, social impact. There's other things that people look at in terms of when they put their trust behind a brand, a company, a label, that kind of thing. Valmir, what are some other elements that you would add in terms of defining trust?
2: Uh, For me, trust, regardless for food, for me is the word that is the, there is this the same meaning for any kind of for example relation. could be for example, for friendship, for family, for business. Trust is something that you build along of the years. It's not something that it's we have kind of uh, a document or something that we can prove. You only believe in people after a few years, after we build something with them. Uh, one example, I was starting to think, for example, along of my career, what I were doing in my whole life in food sector. I think I was helping people to build trust between suppliers, buyers, and final consumers, auditors for every people that's involved in the supply chain. I think these tools that you have, it's some tools that can help companies and people to build the trust along of the, the supply chain.
1: And I think the honesty and, t- and integrity, which is what you're alluding to, go along with trust. Yeah. And you work worked years and years, and we both have done this, Valmir. We've worked years and years to build the honesty and integrity and the trust that we have within this field and as individuals. And- You know, it takes seconds to ruin that. It can be gone like that just if you're not careful. So, you know, once you have built that, and for some of us, it just comes naturally because it's who we are, but, you know, one wrong move and a company can lose that. And Darren, back to what you said just a minute ago about, you know, it used to be we could trust a brand, you know, we felt like we could trust certain brands, you know, and it's like, well, because this is from this particular company, we can trust that. And I felt that way probably up until like the last year or two. And there have been a couple products in the last year or two that I was just devastated.
2: Oh yeah. (laughs)
1: It's like, Oh my God, no.
2: But (laughs) I'd like to add something for your comment. Any company they are, they can make a mistake, Mm -hmm. but what, what, people want to see, it's a transparency. Yes. If you can make a mistake, we can make a mistake, but they can fix this. But it's very important we have an open communication and show that you are working in the right way.
0: Well, it's, it's important to remember two things. Like you said, first, it's incredibly difficult to build. You're always building your reputation and trust. Um, but it can be gone in in a flash we've seen this with uh social media and and you know celebrities and, and things like that where you know an action a statement or whatever ruins a career right at the same time when you look at the idea that even the biggest names can can fall even the biggest names you're really only as you know your reputation as a as a Whether you're a legacy brand or a label that's Mm -hmm. been around forever, whatever, is really only as secure as whoever is at the helm or, or, you know, what is going on. Because uh, I wish I knew the correct person to credit this with. The whole idea of you're not really measured by what happens to you. You're measured by how you react to, you know, what you do with that. And Valmir, what you're saying, you know, things do happen. But when a company hides it, ignores it, fails to take action, that does not bode well on how people trust them. But the same exact thing can happen to another company, and it's what a company, what the leadership does to, to fix that issue, to prevent it from happening again, that could be you know what is make and break the trust with that company. Even if it's a horrible thing happened to them, you look at look at the Tylenol. Uh, uh, you know when there people were, someone was deliberately poisoning, putting poison in, in Tylenol, and the way that that company re- reacted, people remember people remember Tylenol's response yeah. more so than they remember the details of, of what happened to them, kind of a deal. And uh, we have to take that in consideration. I think trust is one of those things where. There's no one clear definition, and it's not going to be something that is etched in stone at one time. It doesn't change over time. And we have to be willing to look at the fact that it's something we will always have to look at what we build. Some people say, and I think this is an interesting conversation, is trust a subcomponent of validation, or is validation a subcomponent of trust? I think you. Validation is not enough. Validation alone is not enough to build trust. There are other things. There are other acts. There are other procedures, protocols, prioritizations, investments. There are other characteristics, whatever, that that companies have to take into consideration and actively manage to fulfill all that is within this idea of trust. Whereas, again, there's these multiple dimensions If we look at trust in terms of our current system, everyone out there wants to gain trust right away and hold on to that trust. I I believe that it's possible for us to talk about a couple of reasons why our current system, whether it's about validation, whether it's about the ways in which we build trust, are not working. Is is our current way of building trust aligned with consumer expectations?
2: I think in our days, we... Your system it's 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 no longer sustainable. Uh, we we'll you bring a good point, for example, we'll talk about aligning with the consumer expectations. I think the first thing that you need to, to start to align with consumer expectations. Consumers they don't don't have any idea what's what's doing behind to have their food. What they want is to, to buy a food with quality and safety. But the actors behind this, they have to align with the customer's expectation. And you see the numbers nowadays, our current system, it's still rising the numbers for obst- hospitalization, uh, foodborne, and even deaths. Something has to be fixed if you see these numbers.
0: I almost wonder if there are those actors in the food industry that are taking into consideration consumer expectation but from years ago you know it used to be that you know is it the taste i want and can i afford it and you know is it enough to make me happy and that was it today's consumers are asking so many more questions is it local is it organic is it gluten-free is it um there, there are so many clarifiers is it uh range free is it farmed fish is it cage free is it um, um, there's, there's so many things I could, we could probably talk for half an hour, just throwing out, you know, the expectations that the, the labels, the certifications, the little, in some cases, little, little badges that now, uh, are on the front of a package, um, uh, kind of a thing. Uh, is it animal friendly? You know, is it, is it, uh, you know, whatever it is. I think that the different ways in which consumer expectation has changed, over the last three decades is almost impossible to measure. Is this what you've seen, Francine?
1: Well, I think we also have to consider the changes in diet over the last several years. You know, we've got such a variety of diets. You know, you've got... Oh, my God. I I can't even can't even think of all the different diets. You know, we've got the the keto diets, the vegan diets, the vegetarian diets. There's there's at least a dozen different diets that you have to take into consideration, which impact all of this as well. And then we have more people that are in high-risk categories than we used to. Baby boomers are aging. So we have more people that are in high-risk categories than what we did before as well. I think after a conversation that, you know, we had with Bill Marler a couple weeks ago, we're seeing, you know, maybe not as many E. coli outbreaks as we did several years ago, but we're seeing different types of outbreaks now. So that plays a part. So, so many different things have changed that I don't know that our verification processes and our validation processes have changed with that, so we need to start changing our processes faster to keep up with these emerging. I don't know what we want to call them. These emerging aspects of the industry. Certainly, our government has not done that. Not all of our industry has done that either.
2: When Francine is talking, let's think about, for example, instead of to make to, to make your process more more simple and align with the consumer expectation, we become our process very bureaucratic, very bureaucratic and and also complicated.
1: So in the last month, there have been, uh, that I have seen two outbreaks of hepatitis A in produce. Ten years ago, were we seeing outbreaks of hepatitis A in produce? I, I mean, not that I recall, salmonella and eggs isn't really something we discussed even when my kids were little. And for God's sake, flour now can make you sick. We didn't used to talk about that. I mean, it just wasn't when we didn't eat raw cookie dough, it was because the eggs might make you sick. You know, that's when the eggs started to be a problem. Now we have to worry about the flour. I mean, things have just progressed over the, so, you know, just these things start to emerge. And we, with like Valmir said, the bureaucracy, you know, it just becomes very complicated. And we need to find a way to keep up with that much better than what we do as a society or an industry, I should say.
0: Well, that level of complication, remember, I mean, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, you'd have like a a TV sitcom or a movie where it was almost a running line. You know, someone goes to the restaurant and asks, you know, I want it to be uh, sugar free, gluten free, you know, I'll hold to this, hold to that. And that was funny because, you know, well, there's a lot of expectations you have for something that fits all those needs. But that's kind of the world today in terms of the way people are buying things. I mean, I've literally been in conversations with the like that kind of intersection of, of health providers and food industry where there are doctors who, like if you had a heart surgery or some other major surgery, they're recommending that you adopt a kosher certified food diet for a while because you're more likely to get a lot of these validations uh, being you know, authenticated and, and um, be t- being taken serious for a while and you're going to be safe there. There's just so many different reasons why we have – not just validation, but certification and 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 uh, processes in place. And yeah, with that level of complication, it becomes this bureaucratic nightmare. You know, you not only have different definitions of certain things and different qualifications, but even different databases and how people are tracking this information. And how do you, you know, it's like it's like you don't want to have a situation where what's defined as, let's say. You know, gluten-free or allergen-free in one place is a different definition at another place. It either is or it isn't is that kind of, you know, ultimate validation that we want there. Um, That leads us, I think, to our third potential reason is communication, right? The idea of our supply chain being able to communicate with each other, that's got to be of significant concern to you, Valmir.
2: Yes. And talk about communication we can still bring a bureaucratic key because i can bring an example for you one of this the the most simple process of this this certification or validation suppliers they have to, to do at least 10 or 15 steps until they get their product validated and between that they have to talk with more than six or eight people but Suppliers, they don't have any kind of direct communication to the consumers. There's a lot of middlemen intermediaries in this process, but we're missing, for example, the most important part, for example, to suppliers have access and consumers have access directly, a channel for communicating directly with suppliers.
0: Well, and with that, you know, that brings up, I guess, two more dimensions we should probably talk about. One is that when we look at validation and any efforts to build trust, it's not a one-time deal, right? We can provide a snapshot in January, but things may change by February or definitely be different yeah. by by December. So it has to be it has to be more than just a snapshot in time. It has to be, and Valmir, you've talked about this before. You've talked about the idea of a continuous process. What do you mean by a continuous
2: We need to have something not statical. We need to have something that's a continual improvement process. Because, uh, as you said, things change. You can have a certificate today and tomorrow things happen. But if you have some, some process that we have open communication and you have some, some tools, there is a lot of tools in the marketing. For example, we can talk about artificial intelligence. We can talk about software that can help companies to keep this updated and keep an open communication between the actors of the supply chain. This is very important until we move from a uh, a snapshot to a, a continuing improvement process.
0: Well, but Valmir, there's going to be those actors out there that say what you just introduced in our conversation here, the idea of technology. The, the technology and the processes are very expensive.
2: Don't need to be expensive. Okay. Yeah. I think, for example, nowadays, if you if you see our current process, this is very expensive, very, very expensive. If you If you see the numbers, for example, for the market, Only for uh, this uh, TIC market, that's mean uh, uh, testing, inspection, and certification. In 2019, this industry was about $210 billion. And they expected to grow 5% to achieve $260 billion in 2024. If you have this kind of amount of money invested, you should have a very good system, but you don't have uh, I'm saying here, for example, we, we need to start to think more simple and bring the solution directly for who is producing the food. For example, technologies here for use, artificial intelligence, there's a lot of tools free. There's a lot of solutions that we can start, for example, to communicate directly between buyers and suppliers. And and also keep this updated for the whole time. It's very important that we we start to build something that it's it's a continual process.
0: Francine, what are your thoughts on the idea of the cost cost associated with this?
1: Well, I think for one thing, we've been trained to react rather than to act in a lot of cases, meaning that you know we've been taught that you know you don't do anything till there's a problem. <laughs> And it's oftentimes much more expensive to fix the problem, be proactive, rather than react after there is a problem. And I've taught a lot of classes. I've done a lot of training for certifications. And I'm not opposed to certifications in some situations. But I also know that in a lot of cases, people go to those classes kicking and screaming. And they're there because they have to be there. They're not there to learn. They're there because they have to be there. They're there to get a certificate to hang on the wall. And I'd much rather work with somebody that's doing a job because they want to do it and do it well than somebody that went to a class to get a certificate to pass a test and get a certificate on the wall. I know what kind of money these companies spend with turnover in the industry being what it is for these certifications.
2: It's very expensive.
1: It's incredibly expensive, you know, and turnover is very high. It's costing these companies millions and in some cases billions of dollars for these certifications. I just think that there are other solutions. I really believe that there are other solutions that are more affordable. Yeah. So... I think that Valmir's right in what he's saying. I think that we need to, just because we've always done it that way, doesn't mean it's the right way. You know, when I have sat in rooms full of up to 107 people or more that are there to take a certification class, and they're only there because they have to be, not because they want to learn. Again, I just much rather work with people or have people preparing my food that learned what they need to learn. I know are doing things the right way because they want to do things the right way, not are there simply because they passed an exam.
2: Can I give an example? Uh, If you have something more simple, we cut a lot of intermediaries in this process. Just one example. Everybody has to do your tax returns. When you do your tax returns, we can do by yourself. We can, the regulation, it's public, all the rules is there. It's the same for food safety, regulations are there. If you want to do by yourself, we can do. If you want to make sure that your tax returns is right, we are going to hire a accountant. It's a consultant person. We don't need to have a certificate that shows that you are doing your tax return right. This is the same happen with food safety. The regulation is there. There are a lot of regulations. There is a government regulations. There is a public regulations. Anyone can take this regulation and try to implement and bring a consultant to make sure that they are doing right. If you start to doing something more smart and doing something using the tools that we have in the market, we can cut a lot of intermediaries in this process and become your partner validation or uh, even more easy and simple.
1: I'm an avid fan of second and third-party audits and good consultants to help people get through these processes.
0: Well, and it's part of that idea of, again, not only the continuous improvement process, but the idea of, of working to how do we build this bigger body of trust? You know, when we are including these second and third-party auditors as a, a way of, of building the trust... It's not just, I think, the trust for outside, right, for our consumers, right? But it also has to be a level of trust inside in terms of the idea that leaders have trust that our protocols, our practices, our systems in place, our technologies, our our investments and prioritizations uh, are doing what we intended to do. You know, what is the efficiency and effectiveness of what we're doing? It's all there in terms of making sure that we can validate to all stakeholders internal and external that they are trustworthy food safety culture so what are what are some things we can uh, talk about in terms of what do we need to do to reshape this world around uh, around around trust
1: i mean we talked about communication but i mean communication is key you have to build trust by improving communication you need reliable you need that for you know to Help you discover reliable and qualified suppliers. You need to be able to stay connected and exchange information to address questions effectively. Everything we do revolves around communication. From you know finding qualified suppliers, answering their questions. As I just said, it all goes back to basic communication. From the, the people that you work with to the individuals that you're trying to hire again communication um, is a huge part of it.
2: I totally agree. I think the, the only way for you you build the trust through the supply chain is a communication. This is the first step that you 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 need to to improve as you said to to connect these parts.
1: I want to add something to that and this is based on something that I just experienced today. With that communication There has to be complete transparency. You can't tell somebody just part of the story and expect to maintain that trust. You have to have full and complete transparency because the second they find out that you're not completely transparency, any trust, any shred of trust that they might have had that you were being honest with them just went out the window. You're done. You're completely done with them because they're not going to trust another word you say.
0: Well, and you can look at a lot of key examples, whether it's in the courtroom or just the idea of, of some major outbreaks. And and you'll find the communication is a key element of it. You know, the Peanut Corporation of America, it came down to, you know, literally people lying about information and communicating it as if it was the complete and, and uh, uh, authentic uh, uh, facts of the case. And people were satisfied thinking that it was the true bit of information, but they didn't know the entire story.
1: Right. And, and you know, just l- the omission of facts is not being honest. <laughs> right. No, you didn't tell a bold-faced lie, but you damn well knew you were omitting facts. <laughs> that is— not being honest.
0: Right. Just because you employ someone who can find a good legal loophole that that your omission will be okay is not the same thing as you have trustworthy people making sure there's complete transparency and that they're communicating the true information that not only just like to the next stage, but all the way to the consumer. The consumer, the end user, if you will, needs to have that level of validation that, If it says it's free of this or if it says it's made that way or if it says, you know, whatever it says on the label is truly what it really is. When we don't have that is literally at the root of almost all food safety problems we've been dealing with for a while now.
1: Right. And if you want to lose a good customer or the trust of a good client, what more do you have to do? In any business.
2: And also, uh, beside the communication, we need to to build something that will be fair and affordable. Just see, for example, some numbers from uh, USDA from 2021 showing that farmers receive a record low, 4 cents, for every dollar Americans spend on food. We need to create something simple that... Even growers and small growers can be affordable. We need to build something simple and agile that eliminates the intermediaries and reduce We need something to reduce the landed cost without compromise the safety and quality. And we have a lot of softwares and tools that that we can do that.
0: So definitely finding that right balance, simple, cost-effective, but but not static in terms of what we're doing here. It, it seems like it's, it's, a, it's a big ask in terms of, of a, a system, any kind of a, a solution to help build trust. But, you know, we can talk about the cost of doing it, but we also know the cost of not doing it. It costs a lot to the farmers. It costs a lot to the industry and to those families that are dealing with the ultimate harm because of uh, failure to, to support the trust that was assumed. Those are things that in some cases can never recover. Uh, you know, it may start with trust, but it definitely ends with the impact on those who put their trust into a brand, into a product, into a label. Well, Francine and Valmir, there's so much more to talk about this, and what's incredible is that we will be doing that. Uh, you know, we'll be talking in future episodes, even looking at some specific examples of how we can build trust—not just why, but but how we can go forward and building trust throughout our global food chain. Um, I, I look forward to having future conversations with both of you. And um, again, not only thank you for this conversation today, but, but thank you for the work that you and so many people in the audience of this uh, recording put in to building and maintaining and validating and overall supporting of the trust in our global food system every day. For Bites of Trust, Dr. D, I'm your host, Dr. D. Thank you very much.